come thou, thy way, thy truth, thy life. Take our minds and think with them. Take my lips and speak with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The old spiritual song has these words. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to save a sin-sick soul. Alabama isn't Gilead. Well, not at, not at present yet. But it has a sin-sick soul this week. There are many among us that feel wounded by the actions of our governor and the 25 senators who voted in the most restrictive law against abortion in this country. A law that would punish a doctor with a 99-year prison sentence for having performed an abortion on a woman who has been raped or a woman who is the victim of incest. I believe that there are good Christian people who are pro-life. I believe that there are good Christian people who are pro-choice. I know that both sides are having a difficult time this week loving one another and that it's futile for either side to try and win the other over with moral arguments. After 46 years since Roe v. Wade, I'm pretty certain that everyone has their mind made up. Making moral arguments with our friends is just a futile effort. That dog won't hunt. I believe it would be best for both sides to allow the courts to handle the arguments. Let the lawyers and the judges decide the merits of this case. And I'm fairly certain they will. When I was in high school, the biggest battles we fought were waged with Clearasil. <laughs> That was before Roe v. Wade. <laughs> One of my classmates became pregnant. And because her family, living in Mountain Brook, had the resources, they all took a vacation to Mexico. When she came back, she wasn't pregnant. Her boyfriend never had a thing to do with her again never held her hand, never said he was sorry, didn't have a thing to do with her again. Today, I wonder about that woman as she listens to her ex-boyfriend stand on his soapbox and preach about pro-life issues. 
I wonder how she feels. The Episcopal Church passed a resolution on abortion in 1994. Now resolutions, I've been involved in several in this diocese, really don't mean a whole lot. It just means that a majority of Episcopalians are gathered at some convention, some really nice place, probably a really nice city, decided on something at one moment in time. But at any rate, the main points of that resolution are that, birth that abortion is not to be used as a means of birth control. It defends a woman's right to an informed decision about her own body. And it recognizes three classic exceptions, which are the health of the mother, rape, and incest. This seems to be a reasonable approach to the issue of abortion, but I'm fairly certain it isn't satisfactory to the pro-life folks or the pro-choice folks. We're once again stuck in the middle here in the Episcopal Church. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in John's Gospel in the eighth chapter. Jesus is minding his own business, teaching in the temple, and the Pharisees, the law and order folks, show up with a woman that they claim they caught in the act of adultery. It's a picture I have a little trouble getting my mind around, but that's what John tells us. A woman caught in the act of adultery. And they say to Jesus, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. But what do you say, Jesus? They wanted to entrap him. They wanted to stick something on Jesus that he couldn't wiggle free from. So Jesus knelt down to write. It's one of the few times in the Gospels we know that Jesus could write. And he began to write things as he knelt down in the dirt. John Claypool used to like to speculate that what he wrote was this question. Where is the man? And then Jesus stood up and he looked at those with the stones in their hands. And he said, whichever one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then Jesus knelt for a second time. And he began to write in the dirt. And what I've always believed is that Jesus began to write the names of the mistresses of the men gathered there. Wanda, <laughs> Susie, Ellen, whoever. And then Jesus stood up a second time. All the men were gone, scattered like a covey of quail. And he was left with this woman. And he said to the woman, is there no one left to condemn you? And the woman said to him, no, sir, there is no one left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The nature of God is love, and it always bends toward compassion. The laws of the state, the rules and regulations of the state, 
rarely show much compassion. They may be there to protect, protect us, but laws by their nature aren't meant to be caring. They aren't meant to decide, they are meant to decide who is right. The laws of the state are meant to decide who is wrong, who is guilty, who is not guilty. Love isn't concerned with all that. Love is guided by grace. And grace is always unmerited favor with God. No one can earn it. I like what Anne Lamott once said about grace. I do not at all understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are, but not, does not leave us where it found us. In our gospel lesson, Judas had just departed. Now biblical scholars speculate about what the disagreement was between Judas and Jesus. Many of them speculate that Judas was one who wanted to take power over Jerusalem. He wanted to run the Romans out of town. Well, that makes good sense. But what if Judas just wanted to be in with the money changers, cheating people out of their valuable coins, Roman coins, and trading them for worthless Hebrew coins? Who knows what the disagreement was? Whatever the disagreement was, Jesus, who had washed the feet of Judas, said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. And what I believe with all my heart and soul is that Jesus meant for them to love Judas as well. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to save a sin-sick soul. The bomb that can make us whole is God's love and compassion for us while we were yet sinners. Once we've experienced that grace, we're called to be wounded healers to an angry and judgmental world. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation to a fractured and sin-sick world. There's no need to try and convince anyone that you're right and they are wrong. That dog won't hunt. Listen to and try to understand your neighbor as best you can. You simply cannot know the problems and secrets that they've had to keep for years, for years. Be kind, be kind-hearted, and love one another as Christ first loved us. And remember the final words Jesus gave to his disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May it be so. May it be so.